Hi everyone, I uh, hope you're all doing well Dave here, thanks for uh, joining us. Um, now over this last year, uh, you've got used to listening to a lot of people connected with uh, Chesterfield Football Club in the men's team, uh, but today uh, we're having another look at the women's side of football in Chesterfield as I spoke to Jane Haslam. Now Jane uh, is probably better, more well known as Jane Ebbage from back in the day, but um, she uh, is really a pioneer in football in Chesterfield. Started off in the works team when she was just uh, a little kid. Went on to forming her own club in Chesterfield, uh, going and getting a uh, coaching badges with the FA, only the second woman ever to do so. Um, and then joining the England setup, being pivotal uh, in many people's careers like Karen Carney's and Ellen White's. Um, and then ended up setting up one of the first um, centre of excellences in the country as well, again at Chesterfield. Um, I was really, really pleased uh, and excited to get the opportunity to speak to Jane uh, from her home in America, where she's now a photographer, to talk about the challenges um, it was of coming through uh, the game as a woman uh, from when she was a kid and doing coaching badges um, and moving on in the game. And, and really, yeah, talking about those um, proud, pivotal moments, because really she was and is a, a pioneer of the women's game, uh, not just in North Derbyshire, but in the whole country. Um, as always, we are at Spy Legends on Twitter and Instagram, Legends of the Spire on Facebook, so um, do get in touch. Um, but yeah, today's podcast is a really special one. Uh, Jane is a person who uh, doesn't know the meaning of the word no or can't or won't uh, and just gets on with it anyway, and uh, her achievements are testament to that. Um, so I hope you enjoy this latest episode with Jane Haslam. wondered where you're because I, I read somewhere that you started playing for a works team when you were about 12 is that right I did yeah um I don't know who you know at uh in and around the football club but uh I got this did do you know Howard Borrell Burrell yeah mm -hmm. well his first wife Carol um I got to know them playing for what was it was the AGD the PFD Postal Finance Ladies and in the mid 70s, so I was, yeah, I was 12, it was 73 ish. Mm -hmm. um, there was a works league in Chesterfield, there was about six teams. Um, they were all local except one, which was workshop ladies. Uh, everything else was in and around Chesterfield. We'd go to Homewood, and uh, I think we went to Bolsover, Whittington, whatever. Um, that was my first introduction to ever playing properly, uh, but we didn't play many games. It was all very. Uh, my 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 main memories of that are getting dead excited because Sunday had come and we got a game, and then walking down to where I was getting met to be taken to the game, and somebody turning up and saying sorry, but the game's off. The pictures are unplayable. So you know there was there was a lot of that, um, and I've got very very few memories of the games. Uh, but uh, yeah it was and I do remember the first time I ever went they said to me what position do you play and I had no idea uh, <laughs> I'd never played for a team at all so it was like oh I play in the middle so they put me in the middle of midfield and that was that played there ever since sort of. <laughs> So was it a mix of was it a mix of ages then and, and things like that or? Uh, 
Well, it was called Chesterfield Works League. So most of them were just women that worked wherever the, the place. So the, the PFD ladies, they all worked at the AGD, um, other than me, as far as I'm aware. Um, and then I think there was a couple of other people, part of it, that were roped in because they were friends of friends. Um, I, I really don't, I don't remember much more than that, to be honest. And I've got no pictures of it and, um, and whatever. But uh, uh, yeah, I think it, it, it all came about because of, you know, after England won the World Cup in 66, sort of women started playing. And I think this was Chesterfield's response to it, you know. <laughs> amazing yeah yeah and yeah, it was amazing yeah <laughs> do, you, do you do you remember kind of before then then like getting a ball or anything like oh that? god yeah i i mean i played i've played ever since i was a little kid my my mum and dad were absolutely adamant i would grow out of it you know this was uh i remember i, I was a big leeds united supporter as well as a chesterfield supporter but leeds were my team and there was a football field behind the house um so I, I've got a picture of me. I think I'd be about eight or nine years old in a in the old Leeds United kit, you know, with the round badge and the the owl on the on it. And uh, that's yeah. I I just played. I played with the boy. I was your typical tomboy. Played with the boys. Um, I remember at junior school they would never let me play. The, the closest they ever came to let me get involved in a game was to let me run the line. Uh, at a game and that now I look back that that makes me angry <laughs> but at the time I was dead excited because I was close to the pitch and, and and I was doing things in football uh and then uh it's funny because we're, we're we're I think we're a few days away I think start of December it's like the 100th anniversary of of when they banned women from <laughs> playing football yeah. you know it's yeah, not far think... away from that 100th anniversary but I'm you know, I'm guessing in, in your involvement in in football, it kind of changed quite astronomically, did it, over that time? Oh, God. I, well, I was born in 61, so I grew up in the late 60s and 70s. And you can imagine, as a girl playing football at that point, it was very, very odd. Um, then in the 80s, I was playing for a team, but, you know, the local team, which was the Chesterfield Ladies, we were all over the north of England in the Midlands because teams were few and far between. So now, you know, when the 90s development started, 2000 developments continued and now we're into professional. You know, it's like it's it's gone from being a complete not to, my God, look at this, a girl playing football, that's weird, <laughs> to, oh, my God, girls are making a living out of the game, you know, at, at all types of, of jobs in the game. And that's that's brilliant. Yeah. But it was unimaginable back in the 70s, totally. Although it was my aim. I was going to be the very first female professional to play for Leeds United. I was going to go for a big money transfer from Chesterfield to Leeds United. But obviously that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you, did you go and watch some live games then? During oh, yeah. My, Chesterfield my, or Leeds? Me and my dad, we were... We were I won't say we were home and away, but we did we did a lot of local away games. Uh, me, me, dad, and my mum actually. My mum got in, involved uh, around about the time Arthur Cox was manager, and we had a brilliant team at that point. Uh, so we were season ticket holders. My dad, my dad was disabled, so we always had um, season tickets in the centre stand. Too much. I really wanted to be on the cop, but you know that wasn't 
couldn't do that. But all through, my first game was 72 Easter. Uh, it was Torquay and I think we won 5-0. Um, so I was hooked from that minute on. Sorry, I think it was 71 Easter, not 72. Um, and then we'd we'd go every, every home game, a lot of away games. I'm very sad to say if we couldn't get to a Chesterfield game, we'd go to a Mansfield game, which, sorry, I shouldn't say that now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it was, uh, football was, was and is, is life, I guess. Yeah. Which Very which players game. which players did you really love watching? Uh, which players did I love watching? I loved that that whole Arthur Cox team. Uh, Alan Birch I thought was brilliant. Phil Bonnyman was was a bit of a star. I saw you introduced in, interviewed yeah. him recently. He he was great. great. Job, Phil, uh, yeah. Jeff Salmon I loved I loved watching Jeff Salmon. I thought he was a great great midfield player. Um, obviously, any Moss, Sean O'Neill. Yeah. Uh, I thought that, that was a really underrated team, I thought. Mm, definitely. And mm. so then when when did it kind of progress from you playing to then doing bits of coaching and kind of thinking about things like that? Uh, we'd all, I mean, if you think about it, the 80s, we worked through, it was hard just keeping a team on the field in the eighties. If we, you know, if we had twelve players, it, it was luxury. Um, and then at the end of the eighties, um, Channel Four started doing a four for three years. They did a four-week roundup of women's football on the way to the women's FA Cup final. And this is before the FA was involved. It was the women's FA at this point. And because there was stuff on the TV, we started getting younger players, younger girls coming to join what was Chesterfield Ladies at that point. Uh, the problem was we were we were a very ramshackle team, you know, late 80s, early 90s, definitely not set up to be able to, to look after girls that were underage. Um, so a lot of kids came, didn't stay because it wasn't the sort of environment that they felt comfortable in uh, you know parents would bring them and they wouldn't come back and for some reason it just started to resonate with me that we should do something about it uh, we should create something that, that was a safe environment that would mean that they could come and play you know all my life I'd struggled to find ways of playing uh, teams to play for and uh, for some reason it just suddenly became a a mission to make sure that these girls that were coming to the team at that point had somewhere safe to come and somewhere to play. Um, so that's really where, well, tried to do it through the existing Chesterfield ladies team. Um, but as I say, it was with the best one in the world. It, it, it wasn't really set up to be the right environment. Um, so I ended up leaving and that's where Charlie Park Spyrites and all what is now Chesterfield Ladies came about. It was uh, because I couldn't do it through what was existing and we couldn't be Chesterfield Ladies. Um, I went to the council, I went to North East Derbyshire Council, I went to Chesterfield Borough Council, I went to A.D. Shaw at Chesterfield FC, who was the community officer, uh, to try and get help to set up a new team. And I, I didn't want to coach. I, I just wanted to play. I was... 30 years old at this point and just wanted to play um 
the aim was to bring in coaches, but me and my enthusiasm never realised that coaches were going to be few and far between and really didn't want to work with girls teams. Um, but we wanted to try and set up a, a, a structure that, that equated to the best of the boys teams, the development teams of, of that age, that era, that gave girls chance to be coached, chance to play at their own level, chance to develop. Um, I mean, these are all words I'm using now. At that point, I, 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 <laughs> I didn't know words like develop and player development and whatever. Um, it was just to provide an environment that, that would be safe and, and good for them. So that's where we came about. Um, Were there some and, real challenges then getting that off the ground? I suppose your passion just kind of, you, sometimes when you're so passionate about something, you don't, you have tunnel vision, you don't really see everything that's going on around you. You just kind of go for it. But there must have been some challenges. You've said it, you've hit the nail on the head, tunnel vision. Uh, I, I mean, I was just obsessed. I was obsessed with making this thing work. From the minute we, we got on the ground, it was January 1991, we got it on the ground. Uh, we got 40 players come. Now, now, bear in mind, this is 1991. Before that, the previous Chesterfield ladies team had struggled to get 11 players on the field on a weekly basis. And we did this open training session on the first Sunday in January in 1991 and got over 40 players, 40 girls from the age of nine up to 32. It, I mean, that in itself was like, oh my God, we way more than we ever expected. Uh, and suddenly we'd gone from an idea to a club. It's like, geez, how do we now make this work? But enthusiasm and passion and belief and mission just takes you through. Um, and it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And, and, you know, our whole aim was just to put Chesterfield on the women's football map. We were going to be better than Doncaster Bells, who were the team at that point. Yeah. We were going to be the best in the country. And we, we tried really hard to, to do it. And I think in many ways, we, we probably were trailblazers in so many ways. But, uh, yeah. You know, at the time, you don't realise what you're doing. It's just a, it's just a mission, you know. Yeah, and and on that um, first day, then after you've had forty people turn up, and you go home afterwards. You lose the train. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry. That's <all> right. <laughs> that's the sound of America, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. That, that first day um, when you, you, did you put your feet up and be like, wow. <laughs> I just, I, just blown away. I mean, that, that first day, A.D. Shaw came down as well. So there was initially an involvement with Chesterfield Football Club, which was great. A.D. was was brilliant. He really helped us. He, he did a little bit of coaching to begin with. Um, you get home and it's like you don't realise what journey you've put yourself on. Um, but it was like, yeah, this is going to work. From, from the fears of, well, nobody will come to... Oh my God! With what do we do now? <laughs> so I was going to ask about, uh, like, because obviously you're setting up a club. Um, mm -hmm. Do you actually did you actually still get to enjoy playing? Yeah, <laughs> I. That's all I wanted to do. I mean, I at that point I was thirty, and I I didn't want to give up playing at all. The whole point was I wanted to find coaches to help you know to, to make this club as good as it could be 
but I never anticipated that it would be me that was coaching. Um, I resisted coaching the senior team for as long as I could um, because finding coaches really did become become difficult. Mm. Uh, you know, working with girls was was not something that a qualified coach would ever seem to want to do. So um, we, you know, we, we tried, I, at one point I was coaching every, well, not at one point, for quite a long time, I was coaching every single night, every single age group, except the senior teams. Mm. Um, and the more it became apparent that we weren't going to find the coaches that, that of the standard that, that we wanted, uh, the more it became apparent that I really ought to try and get myself a coaching badge. So that's where that started. <laughs> Stumble from one idea into the next, but then it changes your whole life, which was amazing what it did. So, Yeah, and you were the, uh, like you said, the word trailblazer earlier on, but you were one of the first, one of the first to get that FA full licence, weren't you? I was the second. Second. Yeah. Um, I'm very proud of it. I've let it lapse now since I've been over here. But uh, yeah, I was very proud. 1997, I passed that. Um, I did my prelim in the summer of 92 with Kevin Fogg at Queen's Park Annex. And that that just blew my mind. That, that was phenomenal. Uh, foggy. I did my best to talk him into coming to work for Chessfield ladies and he wouldn't come because uh, <laughs> he had better things to do but it was like man if that's what coaching's all about I want I want part of this um, so I got my prelim I passed that on the first attempt which was great and then the FA brought in B license which I worked towards and passed I think I'd passed that by 95 um, and then I just thought right I'm gonna I'm gonna go the whole way I'm gonna try an A license and my first year at Lillyshaw was 96. Uh, my tutor at that point, the guy that looked after me was Ted Copeland, who at that point was the England women's manager. So unbeknownst to me, I was just, that just put me on a, on a, on another path. Um, I did that the first summer. I didn't pass it the first summer. I went back the following summer. Um, did a lot of preparatory courses in between, passed it on the second summer in 97. Uh, what can I say? 70 odd guys and me, residential for two weeks at Lillyshaw. It was it's an experience. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of what kind of reception did you get from everyone else on the course? Uh I learned very early on that there was some of the guys. So I, I did a lot of preparatory weekends and then the, the time at Lillyshaw as well. And I learned very early on there were some guys that, that were never going to accept me. And there were other guys that, that were going to, you know, oh, there's a girl on it, there's a woman on it, you know, this will be a laugh. And then I felt I had to, if I could win them over with my ability to coach and my ability to play, then I felt they were the ones that were going to work with me and help me. So, you know, part of getting through the courses at that point was all about having coaching players when you, when it was your turn to coach, coaching them that were prepared to work with you and prepared to listen to you and do what you asked, asked them to do. 
there were others that were never going to do it. So you never selected them to be on the teams that you were coaching. I don't know if that makes sense if, yeah. you've, if you've done this sort of thing. But um, it was very much a case of having to win trust as, you know, by being, I'll not say one of the lads, but certainly showing that that I knew what football was about. Um you know, I, I definitely didn't come at it from, well, I'm a, I'm a female and, and it's got to be done around me. It, it, I really just had to muck in and be one of them, which is what I did. Um, Stevie Cottrell, do you remember him? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's one name that really sticks out. He was brilliant with me. He was a really, really nice guy. Um, he passed the same year I passed um, and then went on to manage at a very high level and I can't speak highly enough of, of the help that I got from him. Um, he's the main name that stands out. But uh, did, yeah, did you feel like you had to work work all that bit harder then, just because you did have some people that just weren't going to accept you? I think I think it was harder because I was, you know, you're talking the mid nineties, late nineties. A woman involved in the game at that point was very odd. Um, there was very few. And there was also, there was another woman, can't remember her name, Vanessa, somebody or other, that had taken the FA to court about saying that the FA courses were sexist. And I didn't feel that helped my cause because, you know, you then get tarred by the same brush. Um, so I felt very strongly that, that I didn't want to be tarred with that brush which is why I worked really hard to try and be one of the lads, if you like. Um, so, yeah, they were tough. They were tough. Going The first couple of days on any residential were, were always tough. When people knew you, you know, when you went and there was a familiar face, it was always helpful. Um, they, were, they were experiences. They were good experiences, but they were hard experiences. Yeah. Yeah, very hard. And like you said, that then opened paths, didn't it, <laughs> for mm. you? You mentioned Ted Copeland because he he then brought you into England, didn't he? Was it as a scout? Yeah, kind of stuff. Um, I didn't realise, but at the point when I went um, to Lillisha, when I started on my A license, on the path to the A license, the FA was looking to get involved in women's football and they were looking to take over the women's FA, which was completely separate. Yeah, so the FA took women's football over around about 97, as roughly as I passed. And they had this plan for a mentoring scheme for women coaches. And because I'd just appeared out of nowhere and been to Lillishall and been on his, you know, been on his radar, I got involved as a, as a female mentored coach. Um, which I forget, Hope Powell was part of it, a lady from Leeds, two or three others. Um, and then less than six months later, Ted, Ted Copeland resigned. <laughs> and you're like, oh, so now what's going to happen? Football. <laughs> um, and then Hope came along, was appointed, and uh, she, she, I remember her reaching out, and it was like, well, we. We're starting youth teams. We're going to be doing trials. We'd like you to come and work on on the trials. We'd like you to do some talent spotting, and and it just sort of grew from there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And in 98, the FA was, they were driving licenses to, I think it was 15 professional football clubs for girls' centres of excellence. Um, and I was told very early on that I really had to be involved with a centre of excellence as because I would be the only female A-licence um, centre director. Um, so there was only one club that was going to do it as far as I was concerned, and that was Chesterfield. So Chesterfield got was part of the first 15, along with Arsenal, um, Chelsea, uh, Liverpool, I think Aston Villa had one. You know, we had all these big names and Chesterfield FC, which was great. <laughs> that was a really um, proud moment then when you when that happened. I think, yeah, I think that was uh, that was a real chance for for Chesterfield to uh, to really get involved at ground level in in what has now become women's football. Unfortunately. Again, it didn't work out because of the management at the high level of the club. Um, I ended up getting sacked by the club. I was going to take them to the court, take them to court, and then um, was it Darren Brown? Yeah, I was going to say because that was a very turbulent time, isn't it? Like it was a very turbulent Darren time. Darren Brown came yeah. in and everything collapsed, and it was all yeah. Um, Darren Brown came in. It was too late, in a sense, to 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 um, well. The, the centre of actions continued, but by that point, I'd I'd left and I was doing a lot more work for the FA um, to avoid the court case. That that I basically I don't want to go into all that. That was all yeah. bad blood, really. But to avoid it, Darren Brown sort of we, we smoothed it all over and we made it work, and and they could continue as Chesterfield ladies and the centre of excellence which was good so uh, but yeah it was very turbulent um, I worked a little bit at that point as well um, I can't remember the centre director's name he was a Scot Alan Young he, he after I got my A licence he uh, he was advertising for coaches and I, I applied and he took me on and I worked I worked with the under 16 boys for a year as an assistant, and I worked with the under eight boys for a while. So that, that was really interesting, um, you know, working at that level with, with the boys' centre of excellence, and then the girls' centre of excellence came along as well. So yeah. it was all good. Yeah, really interesting. And, and like, for the, for the England time, you obviously, mm. there's quite a few well-known players that have now got really good post-playing careers in there. Uh, that you've yeah, kind of worked uh, out, you? that you know. To begin with, Chesterfield Ladies, Charlotte Park Spirex, Chesterfield Ladies was a journey, and then that morphed into England, and that was one hell of a journey. Uh, names that I really worked with that I, I guess I've got a soft spot for: Karen Carney, Laura Bassett, Kelly Lawrence, who's now coach over here at Boston University Women. Um, Ellen White, Casey Stoney, Siobhan Chamberlain. Um, they're, they're the ones that I, I spent a lot of time working with and I love working with them. Um, very proud to say I gave Karen Carney her England debut as an under-17. That was at Lily Shaw against... Yeah, I can't remember who it was. It, it was one of the home countries. I think it was probably Ireland. Um, gave Ellen White her debut against Switzerland as an under-17. Uh, 
all of the names I mentioned were at the Player Development Centre, which is the job that I ended up doing with the FA, which was uh, phenomenal. Again, when you think about it, the FA sets up a, a Player Development Centre um, for to find the most talented young female players. And they made me head coach and it was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All your dreams come true at once. Did you ever get a chance at any point in your career just to take a step back every now and then and go, oh yeah, that's... Because <laughs> you don't no, do it like when you're in it. That was the problem. There was It was full on for 15 years from starting Chessville Ladies to, to eventually resigning from the FA, I had no time to take stock and to figure out where I was. It was just, for 15 years, I pretty much coached every day or was involved somehow every day. And I'll be honest, the reason I, I couldn't go on anymore, I was just burnt out. Um, since I've left and now there's a bit of time passed now I look back and I think, oh, my God, you know, there was so much that you did. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and like like Karen Carney is a great example, isn't she? She's yeah. uh, had an amazing playing Karen, career. And then has Karen gone had a really good broadcasting career after yeah. as well. I, I'm so proud to see what, what Karen's doing. I mean, I, it's not, you know, I had a little bit of a hand in... in her early development, but she's done so much more. You know, Karen Carney was doing, uh, was it A-levels? She was doing A-levels when she got called up to the full squad um, in 2005, uh, which was played in England. Um, she was part of the development centre at that point, and she got called up, was in the full squad as a 17-year-old, played her first game at uh, Manchester City's ground, um, scored a goal right towards the end of the game. Um, but at the same time as being away with the squad in the European Championships, you know, was was taking exams during the Championships. It was, it was, the way she coped with it was incredible, but it must have been so hard for her. But I, yeah, I have a lot of respect for her, a lot of time. Um, same with Laura Bassett. She was she was lovely. Um, she worked. They all did. I mean, I, I I'm picking on names, but they all worked incredibly hard. But but some of them really really stood out. Casey Stoney was another. She uh, she just wanted to know. She wanted to learn. She wanted to get better. She wanted you know she ate and slept sort of her own development, which was was incredible. And that makes your uh, job a lot easier, I'm guessing, when you've got people like that around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you've got when you've got players that that you know, not not only are you these these girls I've said they were they were with me residential in Loughborough, um, so they were training every day. I was coaching them every day, and and when you've got players that actually want to be there and actually, you know, we were doing six thirty in the morning sessions. At, at, at times and it you know they were actually wanting to be there you've got a very special group and yeah so you've now got to the it's so it's the 30th anniversary of mm. what is now Chesterford FC women isn't it um mm. uh, this year so that must be uh that, that must be amazing seeing how how far it's coming 
I'm just so glad it survived. Yeah. And and I'm what's been really nice has been seeing what, what they're actually doing with the girls and, and the way they're trying to work with them now. I wish they'd done back, that back in 95, 96, when we were really trying to get the club interested. I mean, we were out of time, but the way the way they, they seem to have uh, the backing of the club and the way um, the, the coaches are working with the, with the girls, uh, it's great. And, you know, they're, they're back at a level, I think they're just slight, I think they're probably a level one level below where we ended up when I left but it looks as though they're really going to push for promotion this year which is great and I just wish them all the best I, I just you know I'd, I'd love to see Chesterfield up there again with, uh, with some of the better teams in, in the country as opposed to you know just an also run because yeah. you know it's Chesterfield it's blue and white you know exactly. <laughs> Well, we've had had John Cottrell Bowles over on the podcast, and he, oh, like, great, yeah, the passion that he spoke about everything, and and it, a lot of what he said kind of echoes with what you what you what mm. you were saying in terms of he gets involved in everything, you know, there's yeah. nothing that he's not involved with, and the ambition is there to kind mm. of take them as far as as far as they can go. So that's as soon, as long as you've got people like that around a club, the kind of sky. Yeah, I've I. Spoke brief a couple of times to Jonathan because uh, he's got some trophies that he inherited from from our time, and he he knew nothing about what they were and, and whatever. And so it was nice to to talk to him, um, but to listen to him, yeah, there were so many things he said that were like, oh yeah, I remember that feeling. Good luck, don't burn yourself out, you know. <laughs> but yeah, they they definitely absolutely sound as though they're in the right place to work with the girls. You know, I call me an old cynic, but, you know, there used to be, I came across a lot of guys that would work in women's football because they wanted to advance themselves to get a proper job in, in football with the men or the boys. But, the you know, when I've spoken to uh, Jonathan and Mikey Noon, they both seem to be in the right place for the girls' game, for the women's game. And I think, I think it shows, I really do. Mm. And I hope long may it continue. And, and you're in America, so yeah. um, which we'll come on to into in, in a sec. <laughs> but I just wondered uh, how it kind of compares. Do you, if you kind of had a look at what the what it's like. I, when I first came here, I I tried my hand for a couple, two or three years at coaching high school girls soccer, <laughs> and it oh, no. I I couldn't get on with the system over here at all. Uh, however, I do I play something I couldn't do back in England. I play in an over thirties women's league in a recreational league, and I'm I hate to say how old I am, but uh, I really am pushing up the daisies these days. But I'm still playing, and it's it's like being a kid. It's like being that nine year old again in that Leeds United shirt, you know. Um, and the the great thing about being able to play is uh, I can use all these English words that nobody over here knows. Well, nobody knew them until Ted Lasso got on the TV. Anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> now they get a bit wise to some of the things I'm saying. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it, football over here. What can I say? It's, um, it's very different. We, 
we we spent a lot of time when I was working back in England trying to figure out why the Americans were so mentally strong, so mentally tough. And that, you know, for, for us, that was very much what separated us from them. They they never knew when they were beaten. They, you know, they would just fight and fight and fight. And at all the levels we played American teams, um, this was so apparent. Um, and having having been here and seen the way school sports work, school sports are amazing over here. You know, they are incredibly disciplined. The seasons are, are so short. So, like, girls' soccer, women's soccer starts as the schools go back in September and they play, they train. They're allowed to start training. The varsity teams are allowed to start training in mid uh, August, there's a date given. They then train every day, at least once a day, until the games start as the schools start back. They then play two games a week. They train every day, uh, except probably Sunday. So two games a week, train every day. And the season goes on till mid-October. So you're talking no more than a month and a half of really tight matches they'll play. In that time, they'll play... I think the team I ended up with, Ossining, we we played, I think it was around about 16, 17 games, uh, maybe more, maybe 20. Yeah, well, I worked it out. If we went all the way to state finals, it would be 25 games in, a, in just not even two months, which is intense. But on top of that, the kids have to go to school. The kids have all the other things that they're having to do. They have to train every day if they commit to the uh, varsity teams and it's not just soccer it's that silly game called football where they wear helmets um volleyball basketball you know the lot kids do sport the sport happens every night and on top of that they have to do their schoolwork and you know be on the school bus certainly by 6 six thirty in the morning and then you think, well, yeah, that's why mentally they're a bit tougher than some of the English kids because they have to make it all work. And if they don't make it work, then they flunk it out of school. Um, so that that was an eye opener. Um, it's really interesting as well because a lot of there was a time, wasn't there, when a lot of English players were coming to America? Yeah. Um, and now it seems to have been the way that everyone's now coming to play in England. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that was where Loughborough, the player development centre at Loughborough came about. We were trying very much to stop the most talented girls coming over here to America. Because um, America felt like the promised land. You know, you'd go and you could get scholarships and you could play every day. And what we didn't realise was how intense everything was. Um, I, I think now that Europe and, and England and the rest of the UK have, have started to take girls' football development more seriously, there's less need for, for girls to come over here. Because why would you? You know, if you can if you can continue your education and, and you know, be at a club like Arsenal or Chelsea or, or Manchester United now or Manchester City, then why, why would you up sticks and come over to America where you know nobody? Um, and I think it's testament to the way development has gone and the way playing standards have improved that, you know, now players do want to come and play in England and Europe. And, you know, it's not just America anymore, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. 
So we should mention um, that if anyone, for people that are watching, notice that you're in a kind of a photography studio. Uh, sort of. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, uh, so that was kind of your other passion, was it, throughout your throughout yeah. your life? Tell, tell us I, like, I, the journey guess, of that. I guess there's been two things that have, have really, I've really connected with, and football was one, and photography was the other. Um, for a while, while football took centre stage in my life, ninety, you know, there's there's a lot of pictures of Chessfield and Charlie Park ladies from ninety one till about ninety four, and then things got too intense, and the camera got put away. Um, another train. <laughs> Sorry, I I just I do. People in this village hate it. I just love it because it's. I'll never, never tire. No, <laughs> me <now>. neither. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I started with a camera. I've got pictures of. I was given a Polaroid camera for around when I was about ten. You know the old-fashioned black and white one. I've got pictures of my my friends on the field behind our house playing football, <laughs> trying to take action shots with a Polaroid camera. You know. Like, like a challenge and then I um, I got into I, my brother showed me how to work in the dark room and I I, I used to take a camera to Saltergate um, and try and take action shots uh, I used to stand under the stand um, and I, I didn't have the camera for it I had a you know this is in the 70s when I'm a kid I had a cheap Russian knockoff Zenith camera with a cheap knockoff lens and I could only take, I figured out that I could only take these action shots if, if the action came to the, so I'd, I'd stand on the edge, edge of the box. So if the action was in that top edge of the box nearest me, I could get an action shot. And I didn't have a shutter, you know, I didn't have a motor drive or anything. So I had one chance to get a shot. <laughs> so I have a lot of rubbish, but I do have, I have a decent picture of Danny Wilson in action. And I have a, I have a picture, I must publish it one day of Sean O'Neill playing with himself as he walks off the field <laughs> <laughs> I must put that on the fans group on Facebook one day I must dig it out <laughs> definitely should <laughs> so, so, no, sorry about that <laughs> no, no, no. Then, uh, another ex guest on the podcast Sean in his famous shuffle uh, yeah <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it was more than a shuffle <laughs> sorry so um, yeah and then you ended up so, so what? Why did why did you have the decision to kind of move away from so, photography? What was it? It came about. I I don't. I could never have done the photography professionally if I'd not done the football and the coaching first. Yeah. Um, and like I say, I I resigned from the FA in two thousand and five. I was just completely burnt out. And I. When after I worked my notice out, it was uh, it was uh, Easter 2006 when I left, and I needed a job, but I did not want to go back to working for an organisation. I I'd been self-employed before the FA. I'd been I'd given up working for Bowles Rugby Council and I'd done freelance coaching for a few years, um, and I just thought, well, okay, let's try it. <laughs> And I, somebody we knew was getting married that summer. So I took the job on for a freebie to see if I could do it. Um, and I did okay. Uh, so 
set up in business as Sundial Photographic. And Sundial Photographic, it, it came about because there was going to be a, a big sundial sculpture at Poolsbrook Country Park. And I lived out that way. So I thought, well, you know, Sundar makes sense. Um, and then life changed again. And I, I ended up coming over here and it's Jane Haslam Photography and trade on my name. And I'm more than happy. Yeah, uh, right. yeah it was out. just it, it purely, purely was a way of, of having to have a job. Uh, but now it's, I, I, I guess I've, I'm equally passionate about what I do with the camera as I used to be with the football mm. um, with less people to worry about <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> definitely <laughs> so so where actually are you geographically so the village the village I'm in is called Pauling Pauling New York and it's 70 miles north of New York City um as you can hear, we're on the train line, train line out of New York City. It's a, it's right. We're right on the end of the commuter line. Um, the train ride takes about ninety minutes to get into Grand Central Station. Um, but where I am is is rural. Um, it's the Hudson Valley. Um, we've got mountains within an hour's drive. We've got the most incredible river. Um, within half an hour's drive. Um, yeah, and the Appalachian Trail goes through the village. So given that, you know, I'm starting to do a lot, I'm going back to something that I used to do when I, when I was a lot younger. I used to do a lot of hiking and walking and camping. Um, I'm going back to that now as well. And it's just nice to be somewhere that is, you know, the landscapes are just phenomenal. So, yeah. <laughs> All it's all it's missing, I'm guessing, is a crooked spire, is it? All it's missing is uh, somebody with your accent, um, <laughs> a football ground that I can get to and to watch a decent football team. Well, maybe decent isn't the word, but uh, <laughs> certainly to watch a football team that plays in blue and white. Um, yeah, and what else do I miss? I miss sausage rolls and proper cider and uh, my mum's Yorkshire puddings. Uh, yeah. And people that understand how to talk English. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the one thing I've not mentioned, that Chesterfield does have a World Championship trophy, Chesterfield Ladies, under-14s, um, which Jonathan Cottrell bowls over has got. Uh, it's, uh, we, yeah, we, we came to America, actually, in 94, to play in this World Championship as under-14s. It was only five-a-side. It was a Reebok-sponsored tournament. But we won the whole thing, which was great. Um, yeah, we were up there for a while. We, we very much were. And with the kids we had, we were as good as anybody in, in, in the country. I wondered if you kind of had a message then to, to, to any kind of girls in, in Chesterfield that are now starting on that path to kicking a ball. What, what would you, kind of your message be? Message? Yeah. Oh, man. I would just say, and I guess it's, what's kept me going is you can do anything you set your mind to you know you might not succeed but don't let the fear of failure stop you trying because you'll never know where you end up um you know it's that it's trying it and then the journey is 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 the essence of life if that makes sense so what can i say go for it do it try it <laughs>